Well, it is hot. It is proper, proper Aussie January hot today. What's it say now? It says 28 degrees, which doesn't feel too bad. That's Celsius, by the way. It doesn't feel too, it doesn't sound too bad, but it's steamy. I've come in very, very steamy. I really needed to get a little bit more organized a bit earlier on. I've just been outside cleaning up all of the mess from Australia Day yesterday. Uh, 26th of January yesterday, same day every year, and particularly here in this climate, like Australia Day is, feels like just where everybody goes out on the water. Uh, so we did that yesterday with a whole bunch of friends, which was which was fantastic. And then we came back here, and, and somehow the rest of the entire day and a good chunk of the evening disappeared, uh, having some celebratory drinks. <laughs> Let's say that. So I got up to date an absolute mess, and I've. Uh, I've been gradually cleaning through that. So anyway, thank you for joining me on this Friday evening, my time. Let's uh, let's kick off with the formalities around sponsors, and then I'll get into a whole bunch of other stuff and a bunch of other random things I just added just before this, because I do have some questions I need some help with. Sponsor this week, as it was last, is CrowdSec. Again, big thanks to CrowdSec. Gain crowdsource protection against malicious IPs and benefit from the most accurate CTI in the world and get started for free. Uh, so again, CrowdSec is very good at sourcing intelligence from the crowd, from the masses, uh, to try and outnumber these cyber criminals. They've been a long-term sponsor, been up there on TroyHunt.com many, many, many times. So big thanks to CrowdSec for supporting me and allowing me to do what I do. So go and check out CrowdSec and... Uh, have a look at their crowdsourced intelligence. Now, where do I begin? I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it up. I'm gonna do things completely out of the order of which I had. Because <laughs> so I've got a lot of different data breaches and then other things, and nothing, no like one thing of massive substance. So uh, let's just um, let's just start with the first breach in the order here. Zurich. Zurich, Japan, Zurich Insurance. Uh, this one is a pretty pretty fresh one as far as news goes. Let's see what I said in Have I Been Pwned. Gordon's here. G'day, Gordon. What was I thinking of you the other day? Did you send me something? Who knows? <laughs> Possibly. It's probably one of the emails sitting there. Josh says it's stupid hot in New South Wales, 31 and humid. Uh, what did I actually get up to today? So the thing for us though is there a, we're a little bit, a little bit coastal, so we get the sea breeze. As soon as you go inland a bit, it gets proper hot. I was uh, I was at Oxenford today uh, at the wakeboard park, not wakeboarding, getting a new wakeboard to replace the one that I just found has a big crack through it, and that was thirty-two degrees. We got up today in Home Assistant here at Apple. Oh, got close to that. Got to 31.3 Celsius at a quarter to one in the afternoon. Uh, the humidity at present is 80%. So probably why I feel so sweaty. Zurich. Zurich, Japan had 2.6 million records compromised earlier this month with 756,000 unique email addresses. The data also included names, genders, dates of birth, and insured vehicle info. This seemed to be mostly about cars. A bit of a car theme today. 19% of those were already in Have I Been Pwned. 19% is a really, really low hit rate. Now, my observation with percentages, and when I say low hit rate, normally I'd see 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80% of people in a data breach already in Have I Been Pwned because I've been in other data breaches. 
A lot of the data in Have I Been Pwned is from very Western countries. Uh, obviously, the US features prominently, uh, the UK, Australia, Western Europe. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff in there from Russia. There is a bunch of stuff in there from China as well, but there are a very large number of people in China, obviously. So when you see something like Japan in particular, there are very few data breaches. I wonder if I have other data breaches. Do I ha actually have any other data breaches? In, have I been pwned that are of Japanese origin? Now, it's not like I go through and select them either. And it's like, I'm just going to focus on the US or Australia. This is literally just whatever pops up. Uh, FAM. FAM is in there from Japan, but it was only Half Moon Records. The Japanese Family Photos website. Uh, Life Bear. Life Bear, the Japanese schedule app. That was in there from uh, 2019. And then Zurich. So, congratulations, Japan. You're like your third data breach. All right. So, I think in, in every other way, a little bit unnoteworthy. Probably the thing that's most most media worthy i don't know the thing that gets the attention the most is the fact that zurich it's not zurich as in the broader bigger global insurance behemoth but the name zurich uh inevitably if you have ever worked for a big company like i did for so many years with pfizer you will realize that that big brand is then broken down into so many different little parts and different parts of the world so anyway zurich japan got popped Steve's here. G'day, Steve and Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Jumping around a little bit. Uh, what was next on the list, actually? Go to Uhus, Aarhus, the Danish city, <laughs> which I've been to before, which, which my beautiful Norwegian wife can say in a way that sounds very, very Scandinavian to me, unsurprisingly. Uh, I am going to be at, I am air quoting it, at... Go to Aarhus, let's call it Aarhus, Uhus, Uhus, the Danish one, <laughs> in May. Now, I'm air quoting it because I am going to be there online. I genuinely tried to get there and, and my, my plan, I had this, maybe we'd come up with this plan after a couple of beers. But anyway, the plan was to try and go to NDC Oslo, which is in Maine, and the same week, go to, go to, go to, go to. There's a double go-to. Attend. Go to Uhaus. Oh, I've got to... Someone tell me how to do this properly. In Denmark, which is very, very close. And I do them both together. And in my series of grand planning, I also realized it was the Monaco F1. <laughs> I was like, well, we could do that. And then we could like go to the F1 in Monaco, which sounds like it'd be really, really cool. Uh, and I just realized I was just trying to cram way too much into way too tight a time frame. So we're still going to do go to in that Danish city, which I have been to before. It's funny, actually, because I looked it up on my phone. It's like, what was I doing when I was there? Uh, and there's basically just photos of beers and a really weird looking toilet. Maybe I'll put that in the presentation for when I do the remote go to talk, because it is nice when you're not there in person to be able, especially when you're not there in person, to be able to personalize it a little bit. So I'll be talking then. Inevitably, there'll be a whole bunch of data breachy, cybery stuff. I haven't worked out exactly yet what's going to be in there, but I know there's going to be a bunch of uh, really interesting things between now and then because there always are. So go to. That's coming up. Uh, let's talk about another another breach, not breach. Auto Trader. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by breach, not breach. 
let me let me do it a little bit back to front actually. So if I go to a particular website that tends to have a particularly large number of data breaches socialized on it, popular hacking forum, AutoTrader is represented as this. This person says, hello, name of the website community. Today I have uploaded, <coughs> I have uploaded the AutoTrader 2023 database for you to download. Thanks for reading and enjoy. And then the description is, in January 2023, a database of 1.4 million people belonging to AutoTrader was stolen by hackers. Compromised data then included a whole bunch of stuff. Stolen by hackers. Now, there was press on this incident. We're going to call it an incident, just to make it a little bit more generic. And the press is here from Cyber Express. And there is a statement in here from... The organization. Uh, let's have a look here. What do they say? Uh, the word automated is in here. Okay, so here's the statement from AutoTrader. AutoTrader has notified the Cyber Express that data in question relates to aged listing data that was generally publicly available on our site at the time and open to automated collection methods. Now, I found when I went through this data that the 20,000 unique email addresses in there, which is very, very small for data breach. So they all appeared to be related to car dealerships or other commercial entities. They did not appear to be the email addresses of personal people. So when I put this description into Have I Been Pwned, I was very careful, <laughs> very careful to use the same terminology. So where are we? Auto Trader. So, and have I been pwned? I said, AutoTrader stated that the data in question relates to age listing data that was generally publicly available on our site at the time and open to automated collection methods. So this went in there very explicitly as such. Now, the, the way I read it, and including their statement about automated collection, is it feels like data that has been scraped off their site. Is it a breach? Is it not a breach? I've written a blog post literally about this a couple of years ago. Uh, said, when is a scraper breach? And I think this was after Facebook or something like that. So one of these incidents where a whole bunch of data, which was publicly available, was taken and then used in a way that it was not meant to be used. And I sort of concluded in that blog post that it, it's a little bit of a semantic argument whether breach is the right term or not. And we're better off talking about just what happened. I say that because I got an email from, not from AutoTrader, but from someone, I don't know if it was a parent company or the PR or whatever it was. Uh, it doesn't matter too much, but they they were nice, which is why they got a nice reply. And it, it, it boiled down to, uh, this isn't a breach. And I kind of, well, that's kind of why I used the exact wording <laughs> that you guys provided this particular media outlet uh, which they then provided me again. So I went back and explained that. And I said, look, you know, if I have been very explicit about what it was, which is consistent with your terminology, uh, also here is a link to the when is a scrape breach thing. Uh, and also here is a link to the hacking forum where they go like, you know, hackers stole, etc. So my view is that this is a very clear, the have I been pwned explanation is a very clear description of what happened, which is consistent with their view. Uh, and then we'll, we'll just see how they, how they reply. I think it is valid to have a place on Have I Been Pwned. And 
And if they take a different view, then I might just ask the Have I Been Poem subscribers that were in here, was this useful for you? Did you... What's the right word? I was going to say, like, were you happy to be notified? No one likes getting noticed. No one likes getting emails from Have I Been Pwned. I don't like getting emails from Have I Been Pwned. But uh, I guess it's more a question of was this relevant and contextual and did you feel that it was sufficient to load into Have I Been Pwned and be notified? We'll see. I always find friendly and open dialogue goes a long way. Uh, that's probably why the service is still running today. <sighs> George is in Austria. Fritz is in Germany. Richard Campbell is in London. I know you're doing in London. It is NDC London time. Uh, that's why I see so many of my friends, such as Richard, over in London, being able to do all the NDC things while I'm here, hot and sweaty. All right. Uh, a couple of things I crowdsourced just before. Now, do I have any replies to this? So one of them is we went and saw a cooking demo today. Now, I've been talking a bit about kitchen stuff. <clears throat> it is tangential to the normal techie things I talk about. Not completely separate because there will be a bunch of automation that will go into the kitchen uh, and it will be more IP addresses in the house. I think each of the ovens will have an IP address by the, by the looks of things. One of the things I've been asking people is about induction cooktops and integrated extractors. And the masses have led me towards a borer cooktop, which, uh, which actually looks really, really cool. Now, here's what's cool about it. I wanted to move our existing, well, I wouldn't take the existing one because it's 17 years old or something and technology has moved on. But the idea of a cooktop off the wall and put it on an island bench. Because if you put it on an island bench, you've already got all of this headspace above it. You don't need to then have all of this space against the wall, which could have cupboards and storage, which we really need more of. You don't have to have that. And that's when people led me towards integrated induction extractors. I think that's the right term. <laughs> extractors built into the induction hot tops or hot plates. Uh, and in particular, Bora. I'd never heard of Bora before. Lots of people are going to look at Bora. It is definitely, based on all their independent research, the leader here. Now, I'm just looking, if you're going to have a look at one of my most recent tweets. So this was, when was this? About 20 minutes ago. We went and had this demo today. And it's super cool. And in this demo, you can see like the integrated induction, like just sucking all the steam and everything coming off the steak and prawns. It's Australia, so we had the barbecue prawns. Uh but what I was really interested to hear from people, and I'm going to read the responses in a moment, and if you have an opinion, I'd love to hear, is we had been thinking about having like one side as induction, the other side as induction, there's an extractor down the middle, and you've got these two induction sides, and each induction side has two different zones. So you could put four saucepans or, or whatever it may be on there at the same time. But when we went and saw the demo, on one side they had a teppanyaki plate, which also has two zones. You can make you know, the top half hotter and the bottom half cold or whatever. So on the teppanyaki plate is where they cook on the prawns and the steak in this video I'm watching at the moment. And I hadn't thought about having that. Like I knew they did it, but I just never thought about having a teppanyaki plate. And when we saw it, we started to go, this is really, really cool. But the question of everyone is, is it actually useful <laughs> in the long term? Who has a teppanyaki plate and actually finds this useful? Now, here's why I thought it was cool. Multiple reasons. So number one, is that you have a very large surface area. So rather than having, let's say we're cooking eggs for the family and everybody wants two eggs, two fried eggs, it's very hard to fit eight eggs in one saucepan so or fry pan. So you end up with the eggs coming together or you have to have two. Teppanyaki plate like this, you can fit them in easily. 
The other thing the lady pointed out, and I hadn't thought about beforehand, this is the lady who was the chef doing the demo, is that when you have a saucepan and you're like trying to, let's say you're flipping a pancake, you've got to get the lifter down over the edge, not a saucepan, a fry pan, over the edge of the fry pan, which might be like, say, 50 mil high. Teppanyaki plate, it's almost flush with the surface. Very easy to flip stuff. For things like fried rice as well, which admittedly I very rarely make, but I would like to make more, is great because you've got this massive surface area we can fit some stuff. And I also picture myself as like a bit of a teppanyaki chef if ever you've been to one of these ones where they start flipping eggs into people's mouths and think, I think that'd be hilarious. Might be novelty factor, I don't know. So anyway, uh, now just looking at the, the comments in here. So Steve's in, in bed. Okay, g'day. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Jamie says, Bora is awesome. He says, tall person here. Not having an extractor to bump your head against is way better. Now, I am also a tall person at six foot five, and I would like to not have anything in my line of vision. Even at the moment, the extractor we've got is about here, and I can kind of see under it okay, but it's not great. Richard says, how noisy was the extractor? Now, this is interesting because Jamie then says it's not silent. Now, Jamie, I don't know if you're talking about this particular Bora model or something else, but the answer is actually very quiet so they had it on full blast in fact if you have a look in this video the amount of steam and everything it's sucking down it's, it's pretty significant and charlotte and i both said while we're there so it's interesting isn't it like I, i'm literally not thinking about it at all so it was not loud enough to think about i'd also say there are lots of times at the moment where i do not run the extractor fan at all if i'm cooking eggs I don't run the extractor fan. It ju just doesn't have a lot of stuff <laughs> that comes off it. Now, obviously, when you see what they're cooking here, there is more stuff that comes off it. There's a lot more stuff that comes off it. But also, and Richard's been to my house before, so who knows this, but where our island bench is in our kitchen is very close to a double sliding door that opens up to the outside. Uh, and we would usually have that open all the time, other than when it gets to too cold in winter and it's down to like less than 20 <laughs> celsius or something so it's actually really really good uh jamie says we have the bora basic okay so a different model i don't know if it's louder or quieter uh this is this is a very expensive one <laughs> i don't know if that makes a lot of difference to the noise of the fan but it was good so the responses to people to this 20 minute ago tweet about has anyone used a tepanyaki plate happy with it Someone here says, uh, had a 90-centimeter ILV with tepin in the middle. Used it a great deal. Lifted off and the burner suited a big kettle fish. Easy to clean. Used it more than frying pans day to day. Now, one of the things I was worried about is, what is it like to clean? It is not a non-stick surface. It is a stainless steel surface. And after the lady cooked this, and she looked part of the reason we're doing like prawns is because uh that had a sauce in it that was a, a very caramelly sort of sauce it had a lot of sugars and things like that the plate looked an absolute mess after they were done uh and she she put a, a bit of water on there uh with a little bit of vinegar let it sit there for about five minutes there's a mode you can put it on for clean apparently it holds it about 70 degrees and then it all scraped off super super easy so hopefully that's the answer that it's easy enough to clean now not being a non-stick surface as well, you're going to have to have a little bit of oil for eggs and things, whereas at the moment I just put them in the non-stick fry pan and it's fine. I can still do that. I can still put them on the induction side. Uh, 
What else? So other people here on the Twitters said, cast iron flat plate on induction is much more generally useful, I suspect. But this is, this is a very definition of Twitter. So I got asked a very specific question. Does anyone have any feedback on the teppanyaki plate? And someone says, here's something completely different. Thank you, Twitter. Someone else says, the built-in griddle is a great idea. I have a large burner in the middle of my stove and have a big griddle on it. Yes, but it's still different to what I just asked. First person gave me a good answer. Richard says, I do like a solid grill surface like the teppanyaki hob. I converted a third of my gas grill to a solid cast iron plate. Adds a lot of cooking options. So this is only part of our cooking solution because we're also doing uh, an outdoor barbecue. Uh, and as, as Richard may have seen, we have a barbecue that has been there for many, many, many years. Living by salt water has not been friendly <laughs> to it. It needs to go. So what we want to do with an outdoor kitchen is get a... Another, but we'll get a built-in this time, so we'll actually get some cabinetry built. Uh, have a barbecue that is mostly grill, and now I feel like these terms get mean di different things in different parts of the world. But like, you know, grill as in you could not cook an egg in it because it would fall down the middle kind of thing. Mostly grill, and then there's one little part of it that's a hot plate. So if you wanted to do, you could do sausages on the grill. Let's use the egg example just because it's a good one. You could do the eggs there but tempted to have like a larger dedicated teppanyaki plate there because we do do a lot of breakfast there. So you might do like eggs and bacon. So then you'd have a dedicated barbecue. You could do your steaks and sear them, etc. there. And then you would have a teppanyaki plate. So you could do your eggs and bacon. I got very off topic here. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Any more comments from firsthand experience living with like a teppanyaki grill in your kitchen? Please let me know. Let's talk about another data breach. Norwegian one. This is great. Well, it's not great for them, but it's great getting a Norwegian data breach and having my own personal Norwegian to help me understand what happened. Complet, complete fitted. I don't know. It's a website that sells stuff. Uh, they have had a data breach. It looks like they are sort of an adventure kind of service. Uh, so one of these, you know, North Face kind of style things. Some very well-known Norwegian adventurer is behind it. 140,000 records breached in 2021 with news of it just breaking the data publishers, which was two days ago. The data included email, IP, physical address, and password stored as bcrypt or plain text. That is fascinating. Why would it be bcrypt or plain text? And literally the field for password is like bcrypt hashes, bcrypt plain text, <laughs> bcrypt, bcrypt plain I would understand more if it was like, it is a combination of SHA-256 and Bcrypt. And it's like, okay, well, they had SHA-256 and then they started doing Bcrypt when people logged back in and they're in this nasty kind of in-between state of perpetuity now where you will never actually be able to have just the good stuff. The good stuff being Bcrypt. Uh, so that is a good example of insanity. Uh I wonder why they did that. I'm not asking, by the way. That wasn't me just asking. <laughs> why did he store the data this way? I just remembered something Shallow had to do and I forgot. So anyway, that was a very strange one. 69% of those already in have been pwned. So that is much more consistent with the numbers I gave before. Uh, incidentally, the auto trader 
uh, breach, not breach, was 59%. Again, more consistent with the figures we see, 60 70%-ish range. So um, haven't heard any more about that. What I did hear, which is really interesting, is that nobody got notified by them, which is a bit shit, really, isn't it? So apparently they notified their local regulator, like straight away, and then just didn't tell anybody, which is really weird. Now let's actually have a look, because I did put that question out, and I like I put the question out, say, hey, if you got an email from Have I Been Pwned, and I think I sent a thousand emails or something like that. No, it must be more than that. Uh, anyway, did you get one from me and not from the organisation? And some people did actually confirm that that was the case. Let's have a look here. Let me try and find this on Twitter, which is very, very hard to find now. It's very hard to find anything on Twitter. The mentions is just a mess. This is what I really miss about Tweetbot. Tweetbot was great because I could have this, I feel like I could have a nice queue of mentions and I've scrolled down to here and then I go to bed and I get up and I read my tweets eight hours later or whatever it is and I continue from where I left off in the queue. <sighs> Doesn't happen anymore. Now, I know I asked this question, uh, and then people said they didn't get notified. But because Twitter, I can't actually find it anymore. Where was it? Oh, here we go. Norwegian friends, who has who was in this but never received a notice from the company? Sounds like nobody did, which sucks. Now, Per, Per, per Thorsheim fellow security person in Norway, says, uh, as far as I know, reports sent from the company in 2021 to Norwegian DPA, Data Protection Authority, says they didn't inform customers because their passwords were encrypted. <laughs> None of them were encrypted. Many of them were hashed with bcrypt. A bunch of them were plain text. Now, Per did suggest to please describe with emojis or GIFs only what you think about that, Troy. Uh, yeah, not great. Now, someone here says, I'm a vivid customer of the Norwegian Complet.dk, which would be Danish, but I never got anything from them regarding this. Someone else says, but they're certified, should be perfectly safe. And they have an image here of something with a padlock and a green tick, which obviously means it's okay. Someone else says, never got any message from them, guessing that shop won't live much longer. I'm guessing it will, because not much seems to happen when you don't notify people. Honestly, like it's particularly if they did contact their local DPA, but that sucks that they didn't tell people. That's just shitty. It is really shitty. <sighs> Stephen's here. G'day, Stephen. That was a data breach, another data breach issue. Let's talk about... Uh, I'm mixing it up. I'm doing everything with a blend of data breachy and then other things. We've done cooking. Let's move on. I asked for another suggestion here just before I started this video. In fact, I asked just before I started this video so I could talk about it. I have multiple friends, believe it or not, who are, who are asking for help getting a connected doorbell. I am very happy with my Ubiquiti connected doorbell. I've got a G4 Pro. It integrates not just with all my Ubiquiti things, but all my Home Assistant things. Oh, I did something really fun. Um, 
I'm going to play this audio. I don't want to show you the video because I don't have the person's consent. Uh, if it was someone doing something nasty, I wouldn't care if I didn't have their consent, but they're not doing something nasty. It's the postman. <laughs> I'm just going to play this. So we, uh, there's a backstory to this. We were out having a coffee with some folks. In fact, having a coffee with the previous blog sponsor, uh, DTAC. So the folks from DTAC. You will see DTAC on the blog before. They're in the area. So we went and had a coffee. Anyway, so we're having a coffee with these folks and uh, the doorbell rings and we can see via the Ubiquiti app on our phone that the doorbell has been ringing. And sometimes we'll have a conversation with people using the app. Other times we'll just let it go. And this is a Saturday morning and Charlotte's looking at it and I look across and it's, what's the right way of saying this not to it? Do I care if I upset anyone about this? Probably not. <laughs> as soon as I saw these two people, I was like, they're selling the Bible for sure. That is exactly what they're there for. They are there to spread the message of God because there are not many people that come and knock on the door on a Saturday morning. And there's generally not like two people that are an elderly couple that come together with an umbrella on a bright sunny day. Like somehow it just, it was clear. Now, later on, we pulled the footage and it was, wasn't just them, but there was like, what do you call a collection of people selling the Bible? Is it a, let's call it a gaggle for the sake of argument. It was a gaggle of people working in pairs with umbrellas, all of the same demographic going from door to door. Anyway, tangential. The point is they pressed the doorbell and it would have rung and then nothing else happened. And I said to Charlotte, like, I would like to do something such that when someone comes and rings the doorbell and we're not home, we can perhaps have the house have a bit of a conversation with them. Now, if anyone figures out how to tile this into chat GPT or something, I would love to know. But what I ended up doing is I went, all right, we both have mobile devices. Home Assistant knows when we are home and when we're not. So let's have uh, an automation where the condition is, if both Troy and Charlotte are not home, let's have it say something and then it will pause for a bit and then it will say something else in order for that pause to hopefully capture a response from them. Now, we got to use this for the first time today. Here it is. I'm going to play it. This was actually whilst we're having the cooking demonstration, and uh, I think it's good. This is just someone trying to deliver a package. Here we go. So I'm going to, I'm going to narrate, because, again, I'm not going to show you the video out of respect. So the guy, he's his high-vis posty vest walking up, rings the doorbell. Hi, this is an artificially intelligent house. How can I help you? Um, dropping off a package for Charlotte Lane, perhaps? Thank you. Your message has been saved to my neural processing engine. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. I like the way he says goodbye to the house. <laughs> it's just text-to-speech. I hope that came across clearly because I thought it was hilarious personally. That's polite. It's friendly. It got him engaged. I got a little bit of information from it. I can go back and play it later on. And wherever I'm wondering, like, what was this person doing? You know, we probably have some information about that. I got pleasure from it. Anyway, so the context was multiple friends wanting connected doorbells they have ubiquity networks in fact these friends are neighbors so the ones over here i put in amplify some time ago the folks over here i put in amplify alien some time ago none of them run unify protect so they don't have unify's ecosystem for connecting cameras and recording locally 
I would love Unify to have a more consumer orientated product to do that, particularly to plug into an existing network. I don't think they really do. So we're pretty much into the, the rings of the world. So we need something like a ring doorbell where it's going to need to record into the cloud because they won't have local recording things. Also, I don't want to be tech support guy. I want to help them set it up and then I don't want to have anything to do with it. So don't anyone tell me to go and get a Raspberry Pi and an SD card and roll my own or anything like that. So I said, while I'm crowdsourcing ideas, because I was just asking about Bora and Tepanyaki plates, I need to set a couple of different friends up with connected doorbells. They both have ubiquity gear, but no protect capability. Any mainstream consumer gear suggestions, ring, other? All right, suggestions we got here. Uh, Ufi are great. No monthly subscription either. The above referral should get me and you a discount. Okay, I'm suspicious already. I never heard of Ufi. I've got to be honest. Uh, it looks like it's got a box there and then multiple security cameras. That doesn't look like a doorbell. What is this? That looks more like just a general home security setup. Um, yeah, that... Oh, okay. They do have some doorbells. Looks like local recording. I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I haven't heard of Yuffie. Is there a pattern here? Someone else here says, uh, "I'm happy with my Ring wide floodlight cam." Here's a sample video showing night vision, motion sensor, and floodlight. And look, at the, I know Ring's been in the news for a few different things, <laughs> but I like the fact that it is such a well-established brand. Particularly if I've got to set up for someone else, I feel like I can have more confidence with something like Ring. Uh, okay, ring looks good. This this guy's recording raccoons. Uh, we don't, we don't have that problem, but yeah. So on here says the new Rio Link doorbell is pretty good and very privacy first. Can work completely without internet, even local notifications. Offline has its pros and cons. Uh, I love that I can record a ridiculous amount of video with my cameras. I've got six ubiquity cameras, I think. Three of them are running in 4K, constant record. My protect rack-mounted unit is only half full of discs, and I've got one month of constant record, which I think is about perfect. It's about the longest I'd ever go away, and if ever I need to go back and find something, it's great. Plus, I never have more than 30 days worth of data, so if something happened... Let's say we're outside having a conversation and the camera picked it up. It's like there's a limited window of time for that to be available later on. Uh, but, of course, you have to have your home network up to retrieve the data. Of course, where am I going with this? You have to have your home network up. <laughs> I had a thought process. Um, you need to be, with the cloud service, obviously you need to have connectivity in order to record it onto the cloud. But if you drop off after that, well, then you can still pull it off the cloud remotely. Uh, obviously, being a cloud-based service, it does it does mean there's a whole bunch of equipment that you don't need to have. You don't need to have the local storage gear. And someone else here says, uh, Ring is easy and works well in the Alexa ecosystem, as long as they're happy for the only motion-activated recording, i.e. not continuing recording. I imagine that's going to be your trade-off because you're probably not going to do constant record, certainly not any decent bitrate, onto the cloud. Lots of people commenting here. Let's see what they've said. Um, Josh says, I've always wondered, does anyone actually encrypt passwords with AES? Um, Adobe. I don't know if it was AES. I think it was some other weird thing, but Adobe did actually encrypt their passwords. And then they had like the password hints <laughs> in plain text from memory. 
Jamie says G4 doorbell as well. Works perfectly. Several neighbors also got one. Again, he's got to buy into that larger protect ecosystem. Darkness. If you have Google Home devices, you can have a talk using text-to-speech with, uh, with Home Assistant. Interesting. But Home Assistant's not going to be a solution for these neighbors. I'm certainly not going to maintain that for them. Josh says, so you almost want that Google call screening thing, but from Home Assistant. Yeah, kind of. Gordon is happy, I assume. Or he says it's epic, I assume. That's my recording he likes. Darkness, I think there's ChatGPT plugin too in Hacks. Now, that would be interesting, but as best as I can tell, ChatGPT really hasn't published an API, so I, I don't know about the reliability of that. Josh says, Yuffie just had a huge privacy controversy. Okay. Uh, and Jamie says, yeah, Yuffie, isn't it great security-wise? Interesting. All right, I, will, I will Google that later. Anyway, if you have any other ideas or if you listen to this later on, uh, that thread is going there. I will, of course, share the results. But at the moment, it looks like no one's really saying that Ring is a bad idea. So, all right, we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Next breach. Now, I've said TBA breach here, that there is a breach that I'm currently processing. I thought I might have been done with it before this recording. I'm not. <laughs> so I think I'm going to hold that over till next week and talk instead about the go-to breach. Now, this was interesting timing because it kind of bookends the collection of topics that was in the little... Little here's what I want to talk about today. Go to Ohaus, Uhaus, Denmark, and then the GoTo breach. Not the same GoTo's. Now there is a company called GoTo, which owns, of all things, LastPass. Let's talk about this incident. Uh, let's get some of the other stuff. It's here on my screen away because I seem to have ended up with a lot of things. Okay, here's the topic. Here's the, the, the title of the story. This was a few days ago. LastPass owner GoTo shares more bad news about November's security breach. Now, how shall I explain GoTo? I've had history <laughs> with GoTo. GoTo was formerly LogMeIn. LogMeIn does remote control software. There is a valid use case for remote control software. There is a valid use case for LogMeIn. There are also some very nasty use cases for LogMeIn. And the one that I consistently ran into was scammers using LogMeIn to get remote control of people's machines so they could scam money out of them. Now, I had a period of time there where I took great pleasure in talking to scammers who were trying to get remote control of your PC to then extract money from you. Uh, in fact, my most popular YouTube video ever, I'm quite sure it's one of my most popular, it's certainly well into seven figures worth of views, was I think it was like a one and a half hour video of a scammer taking remote control of my PC using LogMeIn, except it wasn't my PC. It was, I can't remember if I did it in a virtual machine or I literally just put a spare disk into my machine and then then got in touch with the scammers. Anyway, they used LogMeIn to get control of the machine and they did just dodgy stuff like going to the event viewer and showing all the warnings and go, oh, these are viruses. <laughs> Money now, please. And time and time and time again, it was LogMeIn over and over and over and over. And I was trying to like talk to the folks there and I, I did have some chats with leadership there and this was, this must have been about a decade ago, a long time ago. 
And I was saying, look, there, there are many different things that you could do such that a victim who a scammer had just convinced to download log me in many things you could do to make it much clearer to them that you should never go and download this software if someone calls you up and says you got viruses on your computer or something else akin to that they did not want to do that they did not want to do anything as far as i know that limited the chances of their software being used for malicious purposes it was just so blatantly obvious time and time again it was log me in Log me in bought LastPass. I wrote a couple of blog posts. <laughs> One was about, first of all, how LogMeIn was enabling scammers. Uh, and then I wrote another one about here's how to migrate off LastPass to 1Password because of LogMeIn purchasing them. Now, I have an affiliation with 1Password. Now they sponsor Have I Been Pwned. They have a product placement there they've had for years. I am on their advisory board. <laughs> so I do have a financial incentive now. I didn't then. There was no commercial relationship at all. And it wasn't so much about selling one password, it was about getting people off LastPass because of the whole log me in debacle. So anyway, a long way of coming back around to the story. LastPass owner GoTo shares more bad news about November's security breach. We knew LastPass had issues. We knew that some number, I don't know if it was all of their customers or just some subset of them, uh, had their keychains taken which, of course, could be brute-forced. Uh, I think I spoke, was it last week, somewhere else, about how 1Password does prevent against that sort of thing by having a, another security key, which is completely automatically generated. It's got however many bits of entropy, all the rest of it, and you save that somewhere that nobody else should ever have access to. Anyway, it doesn't work that way with LastPass. So in the story here, they say, uh, has confirmed that along with LastPass's password vault, it had customer data taken by attackers during a November 2022 security breach. So that's not good. I don't want much more detail in here. Now they're dealing with a heavy fallout that's only getting worse. The CEO is noting to customers that GoTo doesn't store their full credit card and banking details, just all your passwords instead, and doesn't collect PII such as dates of birth, address, social security numbers. LastPass also played down a separate incident in 2021 where customers were barraged by constant unauthorized login attempts. The, 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 I think the issue I always have with this is that let's say the incident was entirely benign and clearly the one where keychains got taken wasn't entirely benign and also clearly this one where customer data gets taken is not entirely benign. But let's say it was. The fact that they're in the news time and time and time again is a really bad look for a company that carves out a niche around a security product, a security product that protects your entire digital life. It's a bad look. And getting customer data is a bad look. I mean, not least of which because it's a great phishing vector. If you had a whole bunch of customer data and you knew that those customers used your password manager, when I say you, hacker, <laughs> hacker dude, is then going to go through and create very, very well-crafted phishing emails. Uh, that is a real concern. That's a real concern. So not a good look for them. Okay. What else is in here at the moment? Uh, Jamie says, that's cool, but isn't announcing that you aren't home a bit of a security risk? 
That's why it doesn't announce that you're not home, because I assume you're talking about the video. Now, of course, you guys now know that this only plays when I'm not home, so if you come to my home, I've got a different problem. What exactly did it say again? Let's play this again. Hi, this is an artificially intelligent house. How can I help you? See? Now, I chose those words very carefully because I didn't want to say, we're not home. I just wanted to say enough to ask the guy or the girl or whoever it is that rings the doorbell something so that they respond. And then, like after he says his name, well, he doesn't say his name. He's just like, got um, a package. Dropping off the package for Charlotte Lane, perhaps? Thank you. Your message has been saved to my neural processing engine. Goodbye. See, and I left it kind of open-ended. It's just like I've saved it to my neural processing engine. Goodbye. So, no, I deliberately didn't say we're not home. <clears throat> uh, that, uh, that I don't think would be the best of moves. Also, don't tell anyone <laughs> that this only plays when we're not home. Uh, okay. Brendan says that's only being discussed by Troy. Now, I'm not sure which one you're talking about, Brendan. Maybe you can clarify that. Adventure Matt. There is Doorbird. But it's not as plug and play as the others. Yeah, so this needs to be, these are, both these friends are non technical. They are not folks that live anywhere near the world that we live in. So it has to be consumer orientated. Fritz says, an American science teacher gone full time YouTuber with a good tech channel that did an extensive test of smart doorbells. I think it's called The Hookup. Uh, yes, I have seen that channel before. So if anyone wants to give me the TLDR from that, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Stephen says, I've got a Eufy doorbell and it's really good. Shame they don't have a native home assistant add-on. Uh, yep, probably shame for you. Won't matter for these friends of ours. Fritz, yep, just check the hookup. Stephen said he did a video for both wide and battery ones. Worth a watch. Okay, I'm going to find that now because I'm going to watch that. I can't really send it to these friends because it's like I'm meant to be the guy that figures it out. Uh, the hookup doorbell comparison. Now, actually, I probably should, um, yeah, okay. Uh, yes, I have seen this guy before because he's done a bunch of Home Assistant-related stuff. Battery video doorbells, best of. So one of the things I've got to figure out, actually, with both these friends is do they have mains power or does it need to be battery? And then what sort of chime can they use? So would that, do they need another chime box or will they use an exist? Oh, I'm making work for myself, aren't I? I'm going to be that guy. This is going to be like helping my parents with tech support <laughs> problems. Okay. I'll let you know what I decide because that will go into that thread. Now, I do have a number of simultaneously running Twitter threads that I do like to keep up to. I hope people find it useful where it's like I'm stuck on something or I'm making a decision such as the kitchen stuff. And I go through this process. Uh, and it's kind of fun when it's public. I have honestly had so many really, really good suggestions from people around things like stuff that should go into the kitchen. So I do appreciate everyone that takes time to contribute that. And a little bit like me writing blog posts, I hope that that is then useful for other people. So finishing on that note about writing blog posts and useful for other people, last week I spoke about some Stripe webhooks being blocked by Cloudflare's WAF. And I said I was going down a rabbit hole. Um, I have not yet reached the bottom of the rabbit hole. I have a fairly extensive blog post 
on going through the troubleshooting process of uh, seeing that webhooks were getting 403'd from somewhere, discovering that that was at Cloudflare's WAF, realizing it was triggering a RAF rule. What I have learned since is it appears to have been triggering one of the OWASP rules that Cloudflare then rolls into their firewall. Uh, after a bunch of backwards and forwards, our current state at the moment, and I've, I've had, I won't go into the details of how I've had to mitigate this because I don't really want to give that away. It's it's, it's really not not a risk, but still, security. Uh, <laughs> what we have discovered is it seems to be triggering that rule. The belief is that something in Stripe's payload that is not at all obvious is triggering the WAF rule. I think it's just pushing it over a threshold. So I'm now trying to have a discussion between Cloudflare and Stripe to figure out why. And that may also end up being a conversation with OWASP if it's one of their rules that's being triggered. But I'm not the only person out there using Stripe webhooks that pass through a WAF that has OWASP rules. <laughs> so if it's happening to me, it could be happening to other people. It's one of these things that is painful, potentially painful to actually debug and track down. So hopefully I'll be able to work that out in the next week and I'll have a fairly substantial blog post about all the rabbit holes I've had to go down to try and figure out this problem. Uh, Richard says, if they have an existing doorbell, then likely they have 25 volt AC power supply to there. Uh, yet that might make things easier. How did I end up doing it? I ended up having to, with my doorbell, end up having to go off 240 volt mains with a transformer and then they're running 24 volt, I think, from there. When I say they, the Sparky. Background through the back of the doorbell. It was not a fun experience. Fritz have to go. Thanks, Fritz. See you later. I think I'm going to have to go too. Darkness says he loves your blog posts. They're very inspiring. Cool. I will do more of those. Uh, I do want to do many more technical posts. One of those should be next week. So I'm going to chime out now. As, chime out. Doorbell joke. I'm going to leave now as well. Thanks very much for watching. I'll do this again next week earlier uh, in my day. So that will mean about I don't know, 10 hours earlier than this. Uh, and I'll catch you then. See you later.